You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. Like that last 100 metres in Glasgow where I had so much work to do to get myself into a medal position. There is no way that I could have done that without the crowds. Tweets and about like like threatening my family and threatening me. I, I always said when I was younger, I was like, I'm never dating an athlete, especially a distance runner. Like, that's just not <laughs> for me. <laughs> and here we are. Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by Lindsay Sharp, a European and Commonwealth medalist I've raced in meters. She's represented Team GB at two Olympics. She is steeped in athletics heritage with both her parents, former international athletes, with home championships, unmissingly being caught up in some of the sports controversies, but with success on the international stage, she has a powerful story to tell. Lindsay, it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. Good, good. And I must say as well, congratulations uh, on your recent wedding and, and, and joining us so soon after your wedding. How was the big day? It was amazing, but my voice is still a little bit croaky, so apologies for that. I've not quite recovered. And was it an athletics crowd you had at the uh, the wedding as well? Um, yeah, there was quite a few athletes there and we were very grateful for um, the athletes that were able to come because obviously everyone's got busy schedules with training and competing. So yeah, it was it was very good to see so many faces. Oh, okay. Who did you have there then? Just out of curiosity, who was there? Um, I'm trying to think. Ailish and Rimmer were there. Um, okay. So they flew over. They flew back from Doha to come. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Di Green was there, former world champion. Um, a lot of people from Loughborough, so like Melissa, Melissa Bryant, her name is now. Um, Kate Avery, Charlie Grace. Um, we had a few call-offs, sadly, with COVID. So I'll. Oh. I'll keep them uh I'll keep them quiet but yeah it was inevitable I think <laughs> yeah okay good good well th- thanks a lot for taking the time um great glad you had a good time um so let's go back to the start and take you back to your childhood you were you were born in Dumfries weren't you around there lived in that neck of the woods yeah I was born in Dumfries which um always surprises people because everyone thinks of me as like Edinburgh born and bred but yeah I was born in Dumfries because dad moved there or we moved there um, because dad was offered a job um, after he retired from being an international athlete. So that's how we ended up in Dumfries. Hmm. 
Okay, and what was your childhood like then, Dumfries? You got, what memories do you have of that? I don't remember too much. So we actually lived in um, a small town called Loch Maven, which is not far from Lockerbie. Um, and I think we left there when I was about 18 months. So um, I was born there. And then when I was 13, 14 months old is when my dad had um, his car accident. So that's where we were living when that happened. Um, and then after that happened, we had to move to Edinburgh because um, dad required so much care. Um, and there was obviously a brain injury unit um, in Edinburgh. So that's how we ended up um, in Edinburgh. So most of my childhood was spent up there. I think I was about 18 months, um, two years old when we moved. Um, so my childhood was, I just remember it being like so carefree. Um, and I think that's a testament to mum and dad's parenting especially mum because she was essentially a single parenting and looking after my dad as well but I never really remember much about dad's injuries or his accident or um anything like that I just remember like we lived in a really safe area full of children Mm. we used to just go out and play in the park play in the woods and the rule was really just to come home when the street lights came on um and we just absolutely loved it and now I think back that we were so lucky to have that because maybe things are changing a little bit now but for a long time that wasn't really the done thing like children didn't really go outside and play and we just had so much freedom and we were so active um and that's probably one of the reasons why um I got into sport is just we were on the go all the time yeah yeah you mentioned your parents obviously your mum was representing Scotland in the age of eight is it 82 Commonwealth Games is that right think yeah. so it was Brisbane <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> okay so, and obviously dad was a one of the top sprinters wasn't he a European Commonwealth medalist Cameron and he had a car accident uh, post his career um but they've been a they've been a source of inspiration for you throughout haven't they yeah absolutely mum was still running when me and Carly were children so that was kind of where it started we would go down to the track when she she wasn't like training to compete seriously but she was just you know keeping fit so we spent a lot of our childhood playing in the sand pit at Meadowbank and playing in the shot pit circle and it was full of water and um, just a lot of our childhood was around tracks. Um, and Dad had had his accident around 90, it would have been 91, I believe. Um, so my only memories of Dad are with him having had his accident, whereas Carly has memories of him before his accident. Um, so I was really interested in watching videos of him running and, and seeing pictures of him running because I think I, I just you know was, sometimes couldn't believe that that was the same person. Um, and I just remember like how strong his legs were um, and just uh, being amazed that that was my dad. It's hard to imagine now, isn't it? But the Scottish four by one team won gold you know left the Jamaicans and the English and all the rest behind them it's unimaginable for that to happen again isn't it really yeah I think you know that was like golden era in sprinting in Scotland um and now I think we're seeing like a golden era in middle distance in Scotland um and maybe back then they would have said that they could never imagine a middle distance yeah. golden era um but yeah is I think a lot of it centered around like the pro circuit back then and the Highland Games and there was a huge sort of history at Meadowbank um and so I think that made it especially cool that I then went and trained at Meadowbank because it's steeped in so much history and dad trained there a lot and there was like a little room 
under the stands where they did like speedball and it was like a really old school way of training and that's before Medibank was redone that's still how it was it was just so much history and I could just picture dad training there and Alan Wells and everyone else in that era mm. Mm, great. So, so obviously it was it was it was almost inevitable you, you'd end up doing athletics. And then your sister Carly is all your older sister. When did you first start? You were both quite talented, weren't you? When did you, when did that first start to? Were you good right from the start? Um, so Carly's three years older than me, and um, most of the time growing up, I just wanted to copy her, which she didn't really like. Um, so anything that Carly did, I did. Um, but there was a minimum age to join it was Edinburgh Athletic Club that is now, but it would have been Edinburgh Southern Harriers then that trained at Meadowbank. And I can't remember what the minimum age would have been. It must have been maybe nine. Um, so there was a gymnastics club on at the same time, which looked out onto the track at Meadowbank. Um, and mum was like, you can't, you're too young to go to athletics. So why don't you go to gymnastics? Well, as yeah. athletics, I think I lasted two weeks like I very clearly remember it and I turned up to gymnastics in my shorts and t-shirt and everyone else had leotards on and I just remember standing at the glass door I remember it so clearly watching everyone on the track and I was just like this is not for me (laughs) (laughs) I want to get there yeah (laughs) yeah and they actually let me join athletics before I met them in my age because I was just like I I need to do something other than gymnastics. I can't. I can't do this. So yeah, it started when I was. I'm guessing just before my ninth birthday. Um, and it was just like fun. It was as it should be at that. I mean, not that it's not fun now, but it was just like you know games and just burning off energy really and making friends and from different areas and different walks of life and we just absolutely loved it and. That was that was what we did twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We came home from school. We had I don't know how we did this, but we had like a massive dinner and then went to the track, <laughs> which I can't picture doing now. Um, and then you would get home really late, half eight, get up, go to school the next day, and yeah, we just loved it. Yeah, it was obviously you obviously had some talent then because you went through the ranks quite. You were you were part of this. You'd win medals at the Scottish schools and Scottish junior champs and the three A's, and you you obviously had something, didn't you? And it was it was uh, was it. Did you have a, was it in the DNA? Was it hard work? A bit of both? Um, yeah, I think, I think naturally I've been given incredible gifts from both mum and dad, like clearly got a lot of natural ability, but there's so many people in athletics that have that ability or that talent and just aren't able to use it for whatever reason. In some cases it's mental, just, you know, can't push themselves in training can't hold it together on race day um, or just get distracted by other things in life. And um, I think, you know, I definitely had parts or times in my life where I did get distracted by other things or um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it, but I think there was always that deep down burning desire um, to see. I think it was more to see how good I could be. Um, And I always was aware of like dad having European medals and stuff and, um, I knew that that was possible, that someone from Scotland could achieve that. Um, and probably a key moment in, in me growing up was watching Kelly Holmes win um, her two medals in Athens, because I was 14 then. And that was kind of a crucial time, um, around like 14, 16. You know, you can start to think like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. I want to just, you know, play with my friends or go to the cinema at the weekends and stuff like that. And um, I watched her win double gold and was just amazed, you know, that someone from Great Britain 
could win not just one but two medals. Um, and I remember like I was going to a school disco the night of one of her finals, and I can remember I was at my friend's house and mum was there and mum said you need to come through and watch this because it's a moment in history. Um, and I can remember standing watching the race and thinking, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was spine tingling that yeah, yeah yeah so that obviously it's a lot of athletes talk about that Olympic moment that just just lives with them forever uh, and inspires them. But so you so you, from that point on you just you just start to make good progress. Your, your first GB vest I think with the World Youths in, in 2007 and the World Juniors a year later is that right? Yeah, so I around actually weirdly around 2004, which was the same year as um as, as Athens, I watched Kelly Holmes. Um, that was when I, I believe when I won my first British title, which was indoors. Mm. Um, and that's when my now agent, he's actually been my agent my whole career, um, first saw me race. So we still talk about that race a lot because he was like, I just saw you that day and I knew you had something special. Um, and that was at 14. So, yeah, then it took me, I would have been under 15 then. So, yeah, it was 2007 was World Youth and then 2008 was World Juniors. So yeah, by the time I was like, that would have been 17, 18, I was starting to become a regular on like British junior teams but on those teams I was never um I never won medals at those champs like I was semi-finalist I think at both of them Mm. um and I do remember feeling like slightly out of my depth um like I had so much fun but I wasn't the I wasn't the standout athlete like I can't I couldn't even tell you like who medaled at those champs which at the time you think is like the be all and end all like Mm. oh these people are meddling like they must be um the ones and some of those people did come through and make it senior level but a lot of them didn't um and I think we paid we played a bit more of like the long ga- game in in my junior career and um we see like a lot less of that now like people are becoming like world olympic champions a lot younger now um than they were when when I was like 18 to 20 um but I came from like a sprint sprint background and I didn't have like a, a huge amount of running behind me um so we just sort of gradually built up my training um and that's probably why it took me um a little bit longer to get to like my peak mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I was going to say, you're still quite young, and then you weren't really making that much. You were just progressing as a senior. Not You weren't bursting through as a senior. Let's put it that way, okay? But then, but then by 2011, 2012, you really started to make some inroads, didn't you? Yeah, and I had some pretty bad injuries around 2009 and 2010. Um, so there, I think it was a season, maybe either, I think it was 2009 where I didn't race at all. Um, and that was also when I was at uni. I started uni in 2008. Um, and I think in some respects, 
that was a bit of a blessing because it gave me that time, gave me a year or so to just live live a normal life, and um, to like be a university student, to go on nights out, to not have the pressure of trying to be like a world class athlete and get through a law degree. Um, and then by the time I got through those injuries, I still had the hunger and the desire um, to train to try and make the Olympics in, in 2012. Yeah, that was a big year. I mean, obviously, it was a big year for every athlete trying to make the Olympics. Um, but for you, you, were, you you came a bit from left field. I mean, you weren't you weren't the uh, there was it was it, I think the women's 800 meters at that time arguably is now as well. But it's one of the toughest events, and it always has been one of the toughest events in the country. There's lots of people gunning for those three places on the team, wasn't there? Marion Coro, Gemma Simpson, Hannah England. It all comes Jenny, Jenny Meadows all come to mind. It was really competitive that year. Um, what are you on there? I mean, you won the, but you won the trials, didn't you? Yeah, it's so funny because looking back on it, I was completely oblivious to the fact that I was like really a massive outsider in terms of making that team. Mm. Um, I, yeah, like I, I just wasn't a name that people would have thought of to make it. I was, yeah, I was a junior. I think I went to European Under 23s in 2011, so like I was all right, but I was still a long way off the world, the Olympic standard, um, and. Yeah, I, I was just completely oblivious. Like th- these girls would have been on like world class plan, like on funding. Like I, I wasn't. Um, but I think that was that was part of the beauty of it. Like I was completely oblivious. I just, um, you know, was doing my degree, was training on my own, really up in Scotland, um, and was just. I think the key thing really was that I was just enjoying myself. Mm. Um, and I I graduated from university the same week as the Olympic trials in 2012. Um, and I think I just wasn't really thinking that much about the trials. I was just thinking about my graduation. Um, and it's funny because that's one of the very few times where I've won British champs, um, which is not it, it, winning British champs is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, and those girls felt that that year um, they had the pressure of being expected to make the team and I didn't and that can often happen at British Champs um but that wasn't really the end of it because then I still hadn't done the qualifying time um and at that time there was A standards and B standards um so there was they took me to European Championships and um I was basically told that I had to do something special at Europeans um in order to be selected for the Olympics and I again was not really like aware of probably the enormity of what was going on I was just like don't focus on doing the time like just enjoy being at Europeans um and then it got even more awkward because I didn't do the qualifying time at Europeans but I meddled Mm. um so then they had to make the decision whether to take me off that or take the other girls because they couldn't there's some reason they couldn't take both um and they ended up taking me on a B standard rather than some of the other girls who'd done the A standard yeah, I remember that because it was. I think it was Charles Van Comen who stuck his neck out. Well, I stuck his neck out. He, he, he felt you were a better shot than three other athletes. Um, did you? Were you conscious of the pressure of that, or were you just still enjoying it? <laughs> um, I, I remember after Europeans and after the selection, there was like a bit of an uproar. Um, and I remember at that point thinking like, oh, like yeah, maybe this is quite a big deal. And I really, really, really appreciate Charles making that call because, um that was really the start of, of things for me on the senior level. Um, and he obviously really believed in me and he wanted to reward me, reward me for my performance um, at Europeans in Helsinki. 
Um, and I was meant to race Monaco Diamond League, which you'll know is like the like the biggest, probably the biggest, I would say, um, meet in the calendar. Um, yeah. So I got into Monaco off the back of Europeans after being selected for the Olympics um, and was like absolutely buzzing to get into Monaco. And we actually decided to take me out of it because um, it was just a lose-lose situation. Like whatever I did there, people would say like, oh, I don't know if she's worthy of going to the Olympics or whatever. And it's just like, I was probably pretty tired from the whole emotion of being selected and stuff like that. So sadly, I didn't do Monaco that year, but I've been able to do it since. <laughs> good, good. And what, and what about the, the Olympics themselves? Did you enjoy it? Um, I just remember being like, like every, it feels like everything was just like passing by and like, when I think of the difference difference in me between London and Rio was massive. Like I went to Rio, um, I was like so like confident and mature. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew what I was there to do. I knew what I was capable of. In London, I obviously on my shoulders had the pressure of being selected over these other girls. Um, I was very new on the scene. I was 22, I believe. Um, and that, that, Olympics definitely allowed me to perform so well in Rio but I did slight, sort of feel like out of place and not out of place in London but just like oh shit like this is huge <laughs> and I think it was especially because like if you ask anyone that competed in athletics between like 2008 and now like London was just absolutely wild like it was like nothing else um like London I've never seen like that um and it was just it was absolutely mad um and I was really fortunate to have so many people like so many friends from junior champs also made that team so it was like you know like Adam Jamili and Ailish was there and there was so many people that around it was almost like a new era was coming through in 2012 so there was a lot of like the sort of like original names like you know Greg Rutherford and um Jess Ennis and stuff like that but there was this like new generation that were coming through which I then I've continued on my career with so yeah it was a very very different time from 2016 but definitely like invaluable experience yeah it was interesting talking talking to early child who was a bit more seasoned than what you would have been at this time but she was saying it was just it was overwhelming it was nothing else she had to just re reset her old psychology because of just found it wasn't sure she wanted to continue with athletics after the whole overwhelming experience of it yeah but I guess you know a couple of years later you've almost had your the Commonwealth Games, not the Olympics, but almost a second bite at it with the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Um, it's, it's a very you're lucky, lucky in many ways. You got the chance to compete in you know at the home championships again at Glasgow. Was that almost like your 2012 going to Glasgow as a more seasoned athlete and a raucous home crowd? Yeah, like I can't believe how lucky I have am as a British athlete to have experienced like London 2012, Glasgow 2014, and then London 2017 again. Like that will surely never happen again. And 2014, I had my my own challenges there as well. But yeah, like I had the experience of London and we knew that in some respects, Glasgow wasn't going to be as big as uh, London had been two years before. Um, but in some respects, it was bigger because a Scottish crowd and Scottish people like behind a Scottish athlete was just insane. Um, and... <sighs> Again, like Glasgow, how it was in 2014, I had never seen like people were united, which in Glasgow is like not an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, like everyone was just so happy. Um, 
I remember feeling so proud to see people from like all my friends from the circuit from like Australia and, and wherever in Glasgow competing um on the world stage like that's something that hadn't happened in Scotland in such a long time mm. and, and what was um it wasn't plain sailing for you though was it you had a you had a close shave in the, in the semi-final of the 800 meters and then he was he got through as the fastest loser I believe um and then um you were you were quite poorly weren't you on the eve of the final as well yeah so I started to feel unwell sort of like between the heats and the semi-final um and I just was like off my food and just not 100% and I thought you know it's probably just like the emotion of it all um just you know put your head down eat what you can um but yeah I I believe I had norovirus, but at the time no one wanted to say that's what it was because no athlete had been confirmed as having it. It was just staff in the village. Um, so, yeah, I ended up in the like polyclinic hospital in the village um, in the middle of the night. I think that was – I got it all mixed up now. I think that was the night before the final. Um, so I'd obviously scraped through the semifinals not being 100%, um, but then the illness really hit me that night. Um <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah I was just I remember being on my hands and knees outside our apartment in the village and it's funny because we go and train at the Emirates now and, and we warm up through the village which is now apartments and like see when when we run past my apartment I just remember being on my hands and knees and like um Chris Bennett being there and being like what on earth is going on and Stephen Maguire who was in charge of Scottish Athletics at the time was helping me and we we're waiting for the people to come from the hospital and it's just it's such a clear memory and I just yeah like I had at the time I again was like completely oblivious to how serious this was um but Stephen handled it so well and basically told every member of staff in the morning not to mention it um so I left the hospital in the village it must have been like five six a.m went back to my apartment um I was sharing a room with Steph Twell at the time Per Steph. Um, so I just went back to my bed, slept for a couple of hours, got up and then just um, carried on as if nothing had happened. <laughs> right. Okay. Maybe there should be a blue plaque at that, uh, at that venue then. This is where Mr Sharp was uh, sick ahead of winning gold and silver. <laughs> and what, what, what was the moment like there? Obviously, you know, you did win the silver there, home championships, obviously an emotional time. Just try and put into words what it's like to do that. Um, obviously, when a major medal is, is, is a fantastic moment, but to do it you know in Glasgow if all your friends and family are there what's that like that moment like if you could bottle it, <laughs> you could keep oh, it you? do you know what I went back to Hamden a few months ago um with my mum and with Max and that was the first time I'd kind of really been there properly we were down on the pitch and we'd walked around did a lap of where the track used to be um and like just what I kept saying was like I just wish I could do it again but like no matter where it was like it just you just couldn't compare nothing can ever compare to that nothing ever will um like I'll never forget like the roar in London was amazing but the roar coming like that last hundred meters in Glasgow where I had so much work to do to get myself into a medal position like there is no way that I could have done that without the crowd like the crowd I can't describe the feeling but the crowd were literally pushing me down the track like I got all my strength like I was so tired I was so run down but it was the crowd that got me that medal, 100%. Um, and I just remember, like, the emotion afterwards. And, like, at that point, no one knew, like, the background story of, like, how ill I'd been, apart from really, like, mum and, and my family. Um, 
and just like being able to do that lap of honour and meeting so many people that I knew it was like as if I was just running around like my neighbourhood it was absolutely mental and I will never ever ever forget it and it will never ever be topped. <laughs> Fantastic yeah great moments and you also won silver at the Europeans that year let's not forget as well so that was uh, topped off a great year. Yeah and that was a totally different experience because I went into that champs like that's I was supremely confident it's the most confident I've ever been I went there and I front ran races which is something that like I would never do but it just shows you like what confidence can do like I just went out there and I knew that I was in the shape of my life and I just had fun I had so much fun out there as well good good so you're, you're, now you're becoming that seasoned athlete you, and, you're, and you're starting to make strides you know winning medals up, um, at major championships um and then you start to make more of an impact at the global level as well. So you reach the semi-finals in Beijing, the next year World Championships. Um, and then it's to, to Rio. And, and you were in great shape for Rio, weren't you? Fantastic shape. Yeah, the funny thing is I was actually probably in better shape in Beijing in 2015. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but in Beijing, do you know what? The 800 can be so difficult. If you don't get like the luck of the draw in the semi-finals, um, it can totally screw you over. Um, and, and my semi-final... I believe I was in the last one in Beijing. So I had watched um, Shalena, who's the other British girl. She ran PB, she ran 158 to make the final in Beijing. Um, and I just completely let it go to my head. Um, I knew that I had to run 158 or faster to make the final. And like I just didn't relax for the whole race, ran tense. And I think everyone ran past me in the home straight. Um, but again, like that experience, um, yeah. without a doubt, helped me the next year in Rio. Um, I went to Rio knowing that it doesn't matter what shape you're in, like the semi-final is harder than the final. Like I had to run the semi-final in Rio as my final because if you're not in the final, then there's nothing you can do. So <laughs> the semi-final really is the hardest one and the one that you have to nail. Okay, okay, and then and then in Rio you did you did nail it. You you ran, you ran really well. You got sixth place, and it's still your PB, that isn't it? One fifty seven. Yeah, um, I got very close to it. Um, but yeah, that was and and that's crazy because I'm. Everyone knows that I am not a high mileage athlete, so rounds for me can be a challenge because I've got like when I ran my PB in Rio, I had two two rounds in my legs already. Um, but again, that just shows you like by the time you get to the Olympic final, it doesn't matter like how tired you are you can pull mm. it out of the bag mm. yeah yeah you ran well but it's inescapable now to talk about what what was going on around the event at the time and the the issue of gender um and what's classified as um uh you know uh, athletes now as uh um dsds um and it was a it was it was a cloud over the event wasn't it and it's i think for you in particular there was an interview phil jones interview which actually just uh, i watched it the other night it addressed the elephant in the room of what was what was happening at the time um nothing you said <laughs> was wrong um but it was um it, it just brought the elephant out, out into the open uh, what what was the impact of that um so the thing that was um i still find frustrating to this day is throughout that whole season i'd you go through a mix zone when you finish your race as you know mm. um and every time i went through the mix zone that whole season um everyone had been briefed not to ask me about that um, and British Athletics had been told that they had to handle the situation before I got there. Um, so when I got to Rio, um, the BBC is the first interview that you do. So you do that BBC interview before you get to the mix zone. Um, yeah. So no one 
no one that was representing me got to Phil Jones before I got there. Mm. Um, so I went there fully expecting not to be asked about that because that was the agreement that had been made. Um, so I literally got a microphone stuck in my face live on um, the BBC and got asked about it. Um, and I remember thinking that I had been really quite careful in how I answered the question. Um, and yeah, I got emotional because I'd just run the Olympic final. Yeah. Like my my granddad was really ill and was like holding on really to watch that race and like it was like the accumulation of so many years of work and my emotion was more about that than it was about the question that I was being asked. Um mm. but yeah, I, I thought I'd answered it pretty um safely. Um and it wasn't really until I got back to the village and a few people had messaged me and said, like, Oh, are you okay? Like I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter and I was like, What? <laughs> I don't know what interview you're talking about because I hadn't I didn't really think what I'd said was really that controversial um and I remember watching the interview back and saying like okay like it was just completely like in in my opinion it was taken out of context there was like one small bit that if you watched on its own on its own it was like me crying about finishing six in the Olympics was how it was almost taken as um and yeah it's just like you know especially on Twitter like there's just some people that you can't you can't win with and I I thought I was very careful how I spoke about it um but yeah it kind of blew up from there. <laughs> so you're not on Twitter now is that is that is that directly related to that? Um not directly related I don't know I just think it's, it became a really negative place and mm. um, there was a time when it first started that it was great and you could interact with people and like everyone was and it was fun and I just think like more and more over time it just became like people said what they would never say in person um and I got some really serious like tweets and about like like threatening my family and threatening me and like never come to South Africa because like we'll kill you or whatever and it was just like I didn't need to it got to the point it was hard to my my go-to like thing would be just don't read them but it got to the point where it was hard to avoid um and I was just like I don't need this in my life like it was yeah. just I didn't need it at all. Do you have any thoughts on the on the on the, the rules that have evolved since then do you have any thoughts on that since 2019 is that a positive step are we, are we there yet or not? It's so difficult I think it's an issue that's just gonna keep going on um and I think that it, the thing is it's so much more than sport mm. it's like a way bigger issue than who can and who can't compete in sport um and i think we are in a better place but other people's opinions will be completely different to that and that's that's the issue is it's such a contentious topic um and now we're kind of at the point where it's different in some events than it is in others um and for me I feel like it needs to be the same across the board um but it's what they've done is based on the science um but I think a lot of people struggle to understand how someone can be classified as something in terms of one event but something else in terms of another um so I think there's still like a long way to go um 
and I, I do think this the issue is just it's not going to go away it's going to keep it's going to keep changing and it's going to keep sort of like evolving as people's opinions understandings beliefs change over time mm, absolutely um Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. At that time, you, you got together with uh, Andrew, didn't you? Andrew Butchart, your uh, your hu- your husband now. I know. <laughs> your new yeah, husband. That was, in, that was in 2016 as well. <laughs> it was, was it? Okay, and that obviously relationship started to blossom. You obviously got a lot in common. You're both Scottish. You're both distance runners. How how good was it to get a, a partner in crime, if you like, <laughs> someone who gets it, who actually gets what it's like being um, an athlete at elite level? Um, so I actually taught of course I did a little speech at our wedding because I love to talk um, but I kind of <laughs> I talked about this a lot um, I I always said when I was younger I was like I'm never dating an athlete especially a distance runner like that's just not for me <laughs> <laughs> and here we are um, but I think me and Andrew became best friends in Rio um, we shared an apartment you're put in apartments with like just randomly with athletes that are competing around the same time as you um, and we were competing on the same days and um, a lot of other people had finished competing and in the Olympic Village once you finish competing it's like a big party no one's like focusing on training or whatever so um, me and Andrew ended up spending so much time together because we were both trying to stay focused on competing so we would walk to breakfast lunch and dinner together which was like a 10 minute walk to the food hall um, and yeah we just just enjoyed each other sorry the dogs which jump on me just enjoyed each other's company and um I think he's so laid back and relaxed in terms of his approach to competing and training and I was the total opposite and he just made me like enjoy myself and relax and I remember seeing him and Mo in the call room in Rio before we raced because my race was just before or just after theirs and um it just made it like any other race it wasn't the Olympic final Mm, good good uh, and what about Germany where, where was your motivation right at this time as well about post Rio and and the, the world champs coming up uh were you still a highly motivated athlete yeah um, I think all the like controversy really took its toll on me probably more than I realized at the time um and I would say maybe not 2017 but probably post 2017 I definitely fell out of love with the sport a little bit um because I just wasn't sure if I wanted to deal with like all the stuff that was happening like I just wanted to train and compete and I loved competing um and yeah I just I just wasn't sure if 
if I wanted that all that negative energy that I, I couldn't avoid really mm. um because it was still such a contentious issue um so I, I definitely struggled I would say post 2017 I think having a world champs in London after Rio definitely kept me focused and I knew what a buzz 2012 had been so I was just focused on being able to compete in arguably the best stadium in the world um but yeah after London 2017 and I think a lot of, of British athletes would probably agree was it was hard to see how it was ever going to be better than than what we just had and also how I was going to deal with like all this rubbish that was going on alongside um alongside running yeah yeah I get that yeah um so were you, were you living in the USA at this time as well Did you, are you relocated there yeah, so after 2017, I kind of sat down and thought, if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to make um, a pretty big change. Um, so that was really what was behind moving to San Diego is I wanted to do something different. I didn't just want to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Um, Terence had been my coach throughout like the last sort of 2013 to 2017, 2018. Um, so yeah, we moved to San Diego. Ter- Ter- Terence Mahomes, was that, yeah? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, so moved to San Diego, just kind of looking for like, I don't know what exactly it was I was looking for, but just something. Um, and we had a great time in San Diego, but and it was probably looking back what I needed. Um, it was way more relaxed. It felt every day felt like a holiday, but performance wise, it just didn't work. Um, and sort of mixed in was that um, Terence kind of changed his philosophy around my training a lot um, in 2018 and sort of had me do a lot more um, long, slow running, which I'd never done. Um, And his thinking behind that was sort of to um, improve my weaknesses, which would have been my endurance and rounds and stuff like that. But in doing so, in my opinion, I lost my biggest strength, which was my speed. Um, So I ran, I made the final at Europeans in 2018, um, but just was nowhere near feeling like myself. Um, so we came back from San Diego and made a few changes and I definitely turned things around. Um, in 2019, I ran, I would say, one of the best races of my life when I won London Diamond League. Um, I felt like myself. Um, I just had great fun racing um, and I felt like I was kind of like, everyone was like, oh, right, leading into Worlds, like, yeah, she's definitely one of the contenders. Um, and then we went to Doha, which was in October, which for me should work because I take so many races to get going um, that like a late season helped me. Um, and I've actually never spoken about this before, but I woke up the morning of my heats in Doha um, with just like I woke up at 6 a.m. with like just really bad stomach cramp. Um, and I started my period that morning and like this has been more of an issue in the last few years um I just feel it's another it's another taboo isn't it that I, that's just come yeah. out in recent years this yeah 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 and Ailish just talks about it a lot yeah. um and you know people say like oh like whatever like it's just it's just a period it's just something that girls get every month or whatever but like I was just I was so flat um to the point where like I almost felt uncoordinated it's really hard to describe but I just I just couldn't I had nothing um and like you can see that when I race when I race my heats like we went through in like 64 65 or something ridiculously slow and it felt like I was running flat out and I just had absolutely nothing to respond 
um when the girls when the girls made a move and that was a heat that I should have walked through like it wasn't hard um yeah so 2019 hurt because I knew I was a medical contender there um the event was so different to how it was a few years earlier um and yeah like not I threw away that opportunity because it wasn't really something that I could control but it just hurt a lot because I felt like my body let me down that exact that exact day where I needed it to hold me together <laughs> yeah yeah I get that so obviously you're still you're still you're in the Olympic cycle you're tending to go for Tokyo um things changed things changed for everybody in the pandemic um and the Olympics were put back a year but but Max arrived <laughs> certainly yeah <laughs> you, were, you were gonna you were uh you were gonna be a family weren't you yeah and I think after 2019 which October 2019 in Doha like I, as I just said like I really struggled um I put so much into like post 2017 I put so much into like making changes we've moved to San Diego we spent a lot of money like making changes and sort of investing in our careers and I was just like I kept getting injuries injured um mm. and I would like train for eight weeks get injured rehab for eight weeks get injured and it's just this horrible cycle that I was in um and like if if Tokyo hadn't hadn't have been moved I would really have struggled to make that team I wasn't in a good place after 2019 I wasn't fit because I kept getting injured um and then Covid came along um and yeah I guess like for a lot of people Covid changed what people wanted um we were living in Loughborough um we felt really isolated during Covid because we had no family near us um and it made us start to think about there was more to life than just running Mm. (laughs) especially when running wasn't really happening um and yeah then they, they postponed the Olympics and I kept getting little niggles and me and I just talked a lot about um, starting a family and probably more so me than Andrew, although Andrew's an amazing dad and loves it. Um, he was like, if that's what you want to do, then go for it. Um, so yeah, that, that all happened really quickly. Um, and so Max, we moved back to Scotland in February 2021, it would have been. Um uh, so then Andrew competed all of 2021, obviously went to Tokyo when I was pregnant with Max, um, and then Max arrived October last year. Right, okay, but, you know, it would be, um, some people might want think it's time to retire, but you don't, do you? You're still, you're still going for it, you've got still got, the fires must burn in your lens. Yeah. And you want to get I, it back. I, we talked a lot about that at, before I got pregnant with Max, when I kept getting injured, I was like, maybe this is just the end, like, maybe it's just, like, my body can't handle the training anymore, Um but I think a lot of getting injured was because I just wasn't happy. Um, like a lot of, like if you're happy, you'll train well, you're, you'll race well and you'll be healthy. Um, and I just wasn't happy because I, in the back of my head, like I didn't know if I wanted to do it and I had thoughts of starting a family. Um, so we said like, let's not make a decision on that now. Like I still had the hunger but I wasn't going to say like yeah I'm going to have Max and come back or whatever I just kept we kept it really like open and then as I was pregnant with Max I was like I want to I think a lot of people when I got pregnant were like yeah she's done like she's not going to come back but fortunately for me it was a time in the sport where it was becoming way more popular to have a child and to come back and 
I saw people in Tokyo like Alison Felix, Shelley and Fraser Price, um, all these unbelievable athletes, um, not from like distance backgrounds. So it's a bit more common in like marathons and stuff for people to have kids and come back. But these girls proved that you could do it and in some cases come back even better. Um, and I, I think it's a very British thing to think that people are done when they get to a certain age or people are done when they want to have a family or whatever. And um, I want to prove to not just myself and to Max that um, his mum pursued her dreams wanting to have a family, but was also able to come back and carry on pursuing dreams on the track, but also to all the people who think it's not possible Mm, um, that it is. Okay, you were on the sidelines this year, but but with with injury, weren't you? Yeah, so six months after I had Max, I had a a fractured my sacrum. Okay. um, Which is really common when coming back from um, having a child. Uh, There's a lot of athletes, world-class athletes, who have actually done the same thing, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so you, obviously it was a bit busy athletic summer with the the Commonwealth Europeans and Worlds taking place. Do you do you do you absorb it all? Do you watch? Um, did you did you watch Ailish win the gold in Birmingham? Did you watch your thoughts yes. on and, and, and seeing what Keely Hodgkinson is doing now? Is that how do you are you are you like a fan of the sport or does it does it, does it inspire you even more? Um, I think in Tokyo I still found it quite hard to watch, but this year I've enjoyed it a lot more. Um. And I think part of that is going, we went into Birmingham to watch Andrew compete at Commonwealth. And I was absolutely gutted that we weren't in the stadium to watch Ailish. Because um, I think Ailish, that moment for Ailish was like my moment in Glasgow in 2014. Mm. Um, and I've grown up in the sport with Ailish and I was just absolutely delighted for her. Um, it's been amazing to sort of follow her this season. Um, and Keely, similarly, like I've followed Keely since she was... Um, I think we've actually only raced against each other once, um, which would have been in 2019. Um, and like since then, like she's just improved unbelievably. Um, and she's such an amazing talent. And um, I've really enjoyed watching her race. And we were in Fontenot training a month ago, and I trained a little bit with her. So yes, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the event, in some respects, has moved on, um, but in some respects, it hasn't because of where we were at in 2016 so yeah it's a really interesting time in the event and um yeah I'm, I'm excited I just missed that feeling of racing and I'm excited to race again in a month <laughs> yeah I was gonna say what's what's your most uh what, what what is it you enjoy most about it to tell us about I mean do you enjoy it on the circuit going to places like Monaco and Brussels is that what is that what really gets you excited yeah I think um I love like those big stadiums big atmospheres like I don't I really struggle to go to like small meets or like whatever and I'm going to struggle with that when I start racing again because I'm going to have to start off at small meets and um just sort of like build my way up but I I just miss like yeah like London Diamond London Diamond League Monaco like all those big stadiums and just like the whole preparation for a race and like tactics and just I just miss everything about it. (laughs) So so what what, what are are your hopes when you do get back what ambitions have have you set yourself have you set yourself for coming back? Um, so the plan is to race um, indoors, which for me is not um, necessarily a strong point, but I just really got to get out there and start competing. Um, I'm, I'm someone who takes a long time to sort of like get going and sometimes it's taken me like 20 races in a season to get to my peak. So um, I'm racing on the 7th of January at the Emirates, um, which is just a 600. And then, sorry, 
um the plan is just sort of to race as much as I can at the Emirates um this indoor season and just sort of see if I can gradually tip, tip away at my times but that's really all we've set so far good good stuff good stuff uh, tell me about what you do outside the sport what interest do you have outside the sport um run around after max and we have a dog <laughs> <laughs> um we've just renovated our house so i've really enjoyed that i love like house stuff property um love cooking and baking and stuff and we've got time but do you know what we just absolutely i think this is since covid as well we just love being at home i love traveling but we love being at home as well and we're loving being back in scotland um you can't beat scotland <laughs> <laughs> No, you can't be Scotland. No. What do you, what, what, do you have any ambitions outside the sports? I mean, there will come a time when it does finish for you. What do you want to do beyond the sports? Yeah, I'm undecided. I've got my law degree, which I, I obviously graduated in 2012. Um, mm. But in order to be fully qualified, I still have to do my two-year diploma and then, sorry, my one-year diploma and then two-year traineeship. Um, so I'm undecided whether I want to do that or whether to go more down the property route not being a solicitor um but i'd say my my biggest interest outside of athletics is definitely property mm. so we'll see where that takes me good good stuff well listen thanks for your time today you've obviously got your, your hands full there with max <laughs> max uh, and, and what's your dog called bowie bowie yeah as in david bowie <laughs> yeah she's a girl um Oh yeah, it gets confusing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, listen, thanks for sparing us the time today, and I really wish you all the best. You know, congratulations on a great career so far, but wish you all the best going forward. Uh, Thank you. And it's you been great to catch up with you. Yeah, you too, you too, you too. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.